The Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gap, number 112, for Tuesday, July 24th, 2007. And welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gap. I'm Dave. How are you, John? You okay? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Except Dot Max Sync Services is the bane of my existence. Why? Why? Why does it have to suck so bad? So bad. It works fine for a while, and then when it like gets itself into a funk, it just goes away. Oh, it's like it oh. sucks. It drives me crazy. All right, all right. You spent your rant points. <laughs> I'm, I'm buying more, baby. Gone. I'm, no, 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 no. I'm getting. I'm taking out a loan against the future now. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure I'm, it leaves room for improvement. So we'll see what they have in. Uh, it's, uh, my goodness. I don't have problems with it, it man. It leaves, kinda, every now and then, you it'll, it? you know, toss up an alert. Yeah. Do you use it with any third-party apps? No. So maybe that's the problem. No, I just use it for you know address book and uh, I, I you know, all it, that stuff. I have it blow away my address Bookmarks. book. I have it blow away all my keychains on a regular basis. Could be the third-party conduits. I don't think so. I'm not buying it. Well, it's just sync services. It's, it sucks. It sucks. Yeah. Okay, so uh, I got really the... close there to uh, making this show not uh, not clean, but anyway, I was able to I was able to reel myself in. Today's show mm. has uh, all kinds of stuff. We've got questions to answer about the Finder, uh, mail, printing, ports. And uh, and then one of you actually found two cool apps. One that's very very related to something we were talking about last week, and uh, one's just another great thing. But uh, I guess we get it started off with with something about the the Finder and uh, if this new iTunes the way it organizes. Uh, do you notice that they changed in iTunes seven three changes the way uh, iTunes alphabetizes certain things? Mm-hmm. Like like if you have a question mark, it 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 skips the question mark and moves to the next actual character it's weird it doesn't alphabetize by the question mark and since we don't know this caller's name it has to start with a question mark but here we go hey john dave quick question for you guys when uh looking in the finder i was wondering how if possible to set the default view to list view i know that if you go into the the, uh the finder preferences you can change it to column view um, but I can't find anything to get to list view. Now, I can change each, um, I guess, folder and uh, set that to list view, and when I return, it will be in list view. But uh, if I am to open one of the subfolders and say, the applications, uh, then it goes back to the default icon, or if I switch to in the category view. Um, I know I can switch to list view. All right, we'll uh, we'll let that go because you know cell phones. Sounds like a cell phone. Call. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I'm feeling kind of subdued and, uh, and and sleepy tonight. So why don't you answer this question, John? <laughs> well, I think this one. What we want to do? Oh gosh, where the heck? You want me to take it? <laughs> no, I think I was looking at the uh, view options. I think is that where we want to find, Finder here? preferences. Finder preferences. I'll be like the Finder guy. Finder preferences. Front of, the front I'm sorry. Of the view options is something yeah, I'm feeding you about. lines. Uh, here it is. I'm sorry. So under general, so you get four tabs: general, label, sidebar. I was gonna. Ch- I was on sidebar because I wanted to talk about that. But anyways, under general, open new windows in column view. In 
think you want to uh, see what state that is in. Yes. Um, so if you have that checked, yeah, it's going to do what you probably don't want. So. Yeah, that, so that's part, that would be part one of the answer for me. But then what you do, it, what I do, is open a new window, uh, likely still in uh, column view. He wants to default to list view, right? So you got to uncheck that, right? Uh, but if you open a new window, it'll probably still be in column view. So mm -hmm. open a new window, change it to list view, and then close it. Don't navigate anywhere. That's the trick to, to having the finder remember defaults is you open a new window, either by clicking on file, new finder window, or clicking on the finder icon in the desktop, in the, in the dock, or double clicking on your hard drive. And all, I believe all three of those have three independent default settings. So uh, make sure you go to each of them and go let it open a new window, but don't navigate anywhere new. Otherwise, that sort of overrides and doesn't save. So you open it up, change it to list view, close it, and then you should be good to go from there forward. At least that's uh, that's my theory, and I'm sticking to it. Excellent. Yeah, uh, I'm with you. Yeah, I don't. Uh, I usually like icon view myself. Sometimes. Really? You're, so you're like way old school. What are you gonna do when uh, when Leopard comes out, and you're gonna have to uh, you know think about using everything in cover flow view silently weep silently weep yeah you, uh, I'll, then, I'll be the, weeping the, about about dot max sync and uh openly though <laughs> i'll be openly loudly weeping uh and and you'll be silently weeping about cover flow i i think it can only get better so the, the other thing i want to mention is that you know under the same uh, uh section here so we were on the general pane um in the preferences there but sidebar i've had this happen every now and then and i think this may be a place to look is you're used to certain icons being on the left there. At least I, I use them pretty frequently. You know, your home directory, your desktop, um, things like that. Sometimes they disappear for whatever weird reason. Yeah. You don't know why they did. This is where you go. And, and I got to say, it's not entirely obvious that this is the place to go to kind of take care of that. Right. So, like, sometimes I've had network disappear for no good reason at all. Go here and enable it. So, um, just a place to look if, uh, if what's in that column there starts changing. That's right. Now you you kept referring to it as the general pain. You you actually mean the the pain as in P A N E, not that it's a general pain to you. Is that right? That is correct. Yes. Okay. Yes. Just, I'm calling those checking. pains or frames. I, I like pain. I think pain. Yeah. You with me on that? Yeah. I I knew what you meant. I just uh, you know. <laughs> oh, little uh, little little joke. There. Double entendre there. Right. Ah, right. Kind right. Of right. Mm -hmm. Uh huh. And we've got more Next. of more of that, <laughs> this and so much more. Uh, Terry writes in, <clears throat> wanted to up, uh, let's, uh, did I print the wrong thing? Yeah, I sure did. See, this is because dot max sync doesn't work. And so I had to print the wrong thing. And now it's, it, it's not here. I have nothing. Uh, well, I've I think what's a, happening. I think I recall got, it, though. I have I've some got stuff a vamp in front of me here. here. Yeah, I, so I believe a, what's happening. So uh, I think the problem was in Mail 2.1, he was having difficulty sending. Okay. For whatever reason, when he set his SMTP server, I think in, in Apple Mail, yep. it would um, it would fail. Uh, and I think what was happening, he actually gave us a trace from the uh, from the console, which is in normally in your application utility folder. Okay. Console. Okay. And he had an error message saying, you know, something's wrong. But it's it's selector not recognized. That's part really? of one of the messages. I'm I'm kind of drilling into the core of the problem, so I kind of that's fine. Skipped over the letter. If you find it later, you could. No, nah, I don't have it here. I even searched downstairs. Dot max sync just totally but, blew it away. So yeah. Yeah. If something doesn't work as expected, I think just a general strategy is to go to the console, look at the various logs there, and I think there's one specifically for mail. I forget if it's in var 
there are a few places. There's okay. a system log, and just because I've been doing a lot of work, you know, obsessing over my phone and reading logs, trying to figure out why things are working. All right. Working. Yeah. Um, but anyways, selector not recognized was in one of the console logs. Um, that doesn't sound good. And then, you know, as a, a programmer, I'm like, you know, that, that sound, kind of sounds like a you know, software problem. So what did I do? I went over to developer.apple.com, which is you know, where you can uh, go to ADC, I guess Apple Developer Connection, and they have a knowledge base. And basically, if you look that up, I think the consensus is that an object is damaged. Okay. Uh, a software ah. object. Ah. Is selector not recognized. Of course, you know, it could say object corrupted, but no, they got to say selector not recognized. Right. I guess selector is probably, you know, a spot in software where you can latch onto an object and manipulate it and stuff like that. I Stands to reason. I don't understand the context because I don't do, you know, a lot of heavy Mac-specific stuff got or it. Windows. All right. Well, <laughs> well my, anyways, my thought... Well, and your and, suggestion could help. Yeah. My, well, my thought actually dovetails perfectly into into what you just said. My, my gut feeling was, okay, well, there's something wrong. My guess is there's something wrong with the plist file for mail and... Uh, and and but you don't want to have to rebuild the whole thing because it's got all your account settings and everything in it. SMTP servers, however, are defined independently of your mail accounts. Now they're they can be attached to your mail account, but they are mm. defined independently. So you need to. What I would do if I was having this issue is I would go to Mail Preferences, the Accounts pane to uh, keep the vernacular consistent, and uh, and then I would select the account. At the bottom of the account information subpane or account information tab of the accounts pane, there is an entry for outgoing mail, mail server. If you click on that, it pops up a list where you can edit the server list. I would delete the mail server from the list and then re-add it. Hopefully, that will pull out whatever might be damaged in the mail plist file and then, uh, and then rebuild it. Um, if that doesn't work... I'd I'd actually reapply the the latest 10.4 at this point dot 10 update and hmm. uh, and see if that helps. I mean it like you said John it 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 clearly is a software problem. It's either a problem with the preferences or it's a problem with mail.app and there's just something in there that or something missing perhaps and and reapplying the update. And I do the combined updater, right? So that you're getting everything from 10.4.1 through 10.4.10 and there have been updates to mail.app in that uh in that little process so okay i have the letter in front of me actually so some of the key points um which i think are important here so basically yes it was a problem with 2.1 what he did which i think uh, i'll just mention he tried connection yeah. doctor everything was fine okay so it wasn't a network problem repaired permissions which is always good installed entourage and imported the settings and apparently everything worked with entourage yep so it sounds like corrupt data somewhere else which i think is what you were suggesting yeah um, maybe a different plist file yeah, um, or or then, maybe yeah. Entourage, you know, pulled it in and fixed it on on the way in too. Yeah, know. yeah. So uh, the console log is your friend in this case. But, That's right. Uh, yeah, the, the sometimes yeah the message before that says NSCF string unsigned long long value selector not recognized self equals zero x four six three seven one zero which is of course a hex address of something somewhere. Yeah, and then it says except and ra exception raised while trying to deliver queued message, which I think was. Yeah, we're right. trying to deliver the mail, and it just, just couldn't. So, all right, we'd be interested, um, Terry, what happens when you uh, try what we suggest. Yeah, please let us know. We all should right. make that like a, eh, Go ahead. we should make that maybe a, hmm, you know, bring people back or keep a scorecard. A, score, a scorecard. We've got plenty of people doing that for us. 
the ones that listen are. Yeah, yeah. No, we, we uh, yeah, and we love it. We love when we hear about all sorts of things. Um, I'm going to try a little experiment here, John, and we're going to see how it goes, and and you'll see what I mean. Our sponsor for this show is Smile on My Mac, and uh, and they've asked us to revisit PDF Pen. PDF Pen is a program that lets you edit, combine, save, merge uh, PDF files. I've used it uh, for various things like adding my signature to uh, faxes as opposed to faxing something, just adding my signature to a PDF and emailing it. Uh, they now have a what they call a, a scribbles library, and I'll, I'll put a link to this in the show notes because it's actually pretty cool, where... Uh, the best example I can show you is a college English professor is using PDF pen to mark essays. So gets an essay as a PDF file and then uses PDF pen and he's put, uh, he or she, I think he, yeah, has put all kinds of uh, uh, English, common English correction marks uh, into a scribbles palette and then just drags these in and moves them around and uh, makes them all in red so that the paper is corrected as though he were writing it on the paper, but can wow. save himself a lot of time. Very, very cool. This so, obsolete the big red marker. Obsolete the big red marker. There you go. That's right. So that's PDF pen from Smile on My Mac. I uh, uh, encourage you to go check it out. SmileOnMyMac.com, I believe. Yes, SmileOnMyMac.com. That said, uh, so that's the end of the uh, ad, but we had uh, a question about PDF pen that I thought dovetailed in very nicely here. So we're done with the advertisement, and now we'll move on. Paul writes, and I should note here that I'm not reading this out of Yojimbo because it didn't sync uh, from, you know, dot .Mac for, because dot .Mac sync, you know, sucks. So I actually printed this email because I, I knew I wanted to have it. I, I thought I printed Terry's, but I think it was something else. But Paul writes, on Dave's recommendation, uh, I recently purchased PDF pen and I love it. I'm trying to do what he suggested regarding scanning my signature for signing PDF forms. I've successfully scanned my signature, and I'm now trying to figure out how to remove the surrounding white picture information so that when I put it in a PDF, it doesn't cover information with the white part surrounding my signature. I own Graphic Converter, and I think it, I want to make part of that white part of the scan transparent. Could you give me a hint on how to do this? Well, we certainly could give you a hint on how to do it with uh, Graphic Converter, but why move to Graphic Converter when you're already in PDF Pen? Paste the image in like you have, and then highlight it and you'll see that it's got the white border around it. Go to the edit menu and choose make transparent, at which point a little dialogue comes up, shows you the image, allows you to use the eyedropper to select the color of the image that you want to make transparent. You can also set the tolerance so that it doesn't have to be exactly the color. It can be anything close to it or whatever you decide, and bam, there you go. Totally makes it transparent. The next step is once you've made it transparent, copy the image back out. Now, I use Yojimbo to save all of my signature images in, and I save them in an encrypted thing in case somebody gets a hold of Yojimbo and they can't use my signature. And, uh, and then I've, I've saved that. You know, I did it once in, uh, in PDF Pen, saved it back out, and now I have a transparent uh, image saved out there that I can just pull in at any time I want. So there you go, Paul. That uh, hopefully deals with, uh, with that for you. And oh. now we will move on to... I was hoping we could talk about uh, <clears throat> graphic formats and transparency and all that, but... Well, there's no need to. That's the beauty of PDF Pen. It just... It, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Anything you... Yeah, well, anything well, I've pasted in will, will automatically... Uh, it converts it to whatever format it's going to use and allows you to uh, 
to make it transparent. Yeah, I want I want to go on, on a geeky tangent, but perhaps go go. Well, no, I was thinking the GIF certainly supports transparency. Now I'm curious because I, I do not believe early versions of JPEG supported that, so you couldn't have a layer that would let you see other layers. Does that sound right to you? Say that again. So transparency, I mean, in, in programs like Graphic Converter, you know, of course you can look at a GIF and know which layer is the transparency layer, and I think even set that. Okay. Um, but I don't believe all graphic formats have the ability to do transparency. Maybe they do. But I thought some of the older ones did not, so that's what makes uh, GIFs good for uh, certain purposes. Huh. Yeah, well, I wonder if in uh, perhaps in PDF Pen it's not, uh, it's doing its own magic to make that transparent, or perhaps it's converting it to a GIF inside a PDF pen, and then uh, you know once you paste it in, perhaps okay. it, I don't know. I don't yeah. know the answer to that. Yeah, I got to play around with that because I know there's you know PNG, I guess is the latest yeah. uh, open open standard there. Yep. Yeah, I'll have to mess around with graphic converter or something else. Yeah, maybe it's maybe it's doing PNG. I, I think PNG can do transparency as well. Yes. Yes. Okay. All right. So we move on to Dave and his. Uh, and his amazing printer issue. Hey, John and Dave. This is Dave Stahoviak out in Orange County, California. Hey, thanks so much for a great show. I've got a question for you guys that I think might be relevant to other people, too, uh, particularly those of us who are switchers from the PC world. I just got my MacBook Pro, first Mac I've had. Love it. Uh, haven't had any trouble except one thing. I work in an uh, office that uses a Windows network, and none of us are hardwired. We're all on Wi-Fi. So I hooked into the Wi-Fi system at our office, and everything's great. Network works great. Internet's fine. File sharing with other computers and our server is fine. However, I'm having a hard time with printing. And I was wondering if you guys had a suggestion on how to overcome a printing problem. My issue is that we have two large printers in our office, big business printers. One's a Sharp and one's a Kyocera. And I've activated window sharing. I've activated printer sharing. I can see the printers. Uh, I've downloaded the most recent drivers from both of the company's websites, installed them. Everything looks great. When I try to print to either printer, whatever, whatever I print, what happens is the printer just starts printing out tons of pages, like, you know, 10, 15 pages. And they're either blank or they have just tons of mucky-muck, garbly stuff on them. It's almost like a driver isn't installed correctly. And they're both doing it, and they're both doing it independently of each other, um, both of the business printers. So I'm thinking, hmm, haven't been on a Mac very long, probably something I'm doing wrong. So I was wondering if you guys had any suggestions for how to get a MacBook Pro to print to a Windows network um, on those printers. And uh, I guess it's possible one of them isn't supported with Macs, but it seems unlikely that both of them aren't, especially since the drivers are on the website. And by the way, we're a small office. I do have access to our um, server and router and all that if there's anything that should be changed there. Thanks for a great podcast. Enjoy it. Certainly made the switching easier. And thanks for any help you can give me. All right. Uh, I've got a couple of thoughts here. The, the, mm -hmm. the spewing out reams of paper with gobbledygook on them reminds me of the old days when uh, you started trying to print PostScript to a printer that wasn't ready for it or, or trying to print PCL to a printer that wasn't ready for it. PCL and PostScript are two languages, basically the two most common languages used by printers today. Uh, on the Windows side, 
and, and I'm overgeneralizing here, but PCL tends yeah. to be more standard. More printers, I believe, support PCL than PostScript. That said, it sounds like you're not printing directly to the printer, Dave. You're, you're printing to the, your Windows server, which then redirects you to the printer. My guess is that you've got uh, a, a driver mismatch. So uh, let's presume for a moment that the Windows server is connecting to the printer using PCL. You're attaching to that printer device on the server, so the server's acting as the middleman here, and perhaps you're attaching with PostScript and, and or you're attaching with PCL and, and it's using PostScript. Uh, but I think it, my guess is it would be the former. You have a couple of options. The easiest would be to either match up the driver on the, on your Mac if you can, and if you can't, create another printer share, and you can create multiple shares that point to the same printer, um, and and on that second printer share, match up the driver. So you know, make it PostScript if the other one's PCL. Try to connect your Mac to that. A third option, and again, it depends on how your network security is, would be to connect directly to the network printer in line printer mode or, or whatever, um, and that may work fine, and then you're not dependent on the Windows network, but uh, depending on how it's administered, your administrator may or may not be happy, if you even have an administrator. So those are all my thoughts. What do you think, John? Uh, yeah. <laughs> so what I was going to suggest, so number one, yeah. Well, the Bitbucket may be full. Huh? Never mind. <laughs> okay. You know, the bytes get all backed up. you got to empty the Bitbucket. You'll yeah. find it. All right. But seriously, I think the printer itself, so I would say two things. So number one, which I don't see as often as I do, um, had in the past, is I don't think you can really control the language that the... Uh, <clears throat> I remember some of the older printer dialog boxes. When you say print, it would have buried in there somewhere, you know, would you like to use... You know, this version of PostScript, that version of PostScript, PCL5 or 6 or whatever. PCL, I guess, being an HP creation and PostScript being kind of, well, that was Adobe, wasn't it? I think so. Yeah, I don't remember you being able to, in the, the driver, switch from PCL to PostScript. I yeah, thought you, some of the I thought you drivers, always had to Especially on use... Windows, not so much on the Mac. Okay, um, yes, okay. So here's the thing that I'm guessing also. Now, uh, yeah, typically, uh, at least in my workplace, uh, at least the, the people I work with, we typically go directly using a, you know, like an LPT connection, uh, network socket to the printer. Yep. Um, the only thing I could imagine is, so that eliminates an issue with a print server. Like, I think they have Windows print servers, but a lot of us don't really bother with that because we're multi-platform. But the printer may be set up to either prefer one or the other or just be locked, or it could be a really old printer. I don't know. Yeah. Um, doesn't I mean, sound, no, it doesn't I mean, sound the, like it is an old printer. Yeah. So somebody may have, you know, inadvertently set something to say, okay, either... Lock on PCL or lock on PostScript um, would be my guess. And I've seen that happen, uh, mostly with older printers. Like somebody tried to pin PostScript, as you pointed out, to a, you know, like an HP printer that only had PCL. Yep. You know, so it looks for the pattern. It says it's not there. Oh, must be text. Okay, let's go. And especially when you have control characters in there, like binary data, that's when it starts doing, uh, you know, like, you know, page ejects and, uh, and all sorts of other beeping and... Uh... <laughs> So anyways, um, but yeah, that'd be my guess is, uh, you know, review the pr printer's uh, config screen. I think most printers, uh, especially if they're high-end, probably have a web admin screen. Again, as you said, depending on if you had an admin or not, if, if you know the address of the printer, I mean, actually I've seen this, which is kind of creepy in some places, if you know the IP of the printer and you punch it in your browser, voila, you get a config screen. That's right. 
Yeah. You can wreak all sorts of havoc or solve this problem. That's so right. It may show you, you know, uh, there may be a screen for the uh, printer languages it supports and when it supports them. Okay. Uh, so this kind of uh, dovetails into Rich's question, which we're just going to kind of open up here. Hi, this is Rich Sagal calling from Gloucester, Mass. Just finished listening to show number 109 and had a question. There's a lot of talk about ports, and I've heard you talking about the ports before. Could you go into some more detail about ports, exactly what they are, how they work, they're important, uh, and such? Really enjoy the show. Thanks. Bye. All right. My, uh, my elevator answer for this would be when one computer connects to another, uh, there's two ways that it, it over TCP. And, of course, I'm, I'm, I'm watering this down. John, you're going you're gonna to lambaste me here, but that's okay. Uh, when one computer connects to another, you connect via the address, and then you have to know what service you're connecting to on that other computer. And that, and rather, that other computer needs to know what service you're looking to, to get out of it, and that's what the port is for. So if I'm connecting to a computer and I connect with my web browser, if I don't do anything to change it, it will connect to another computer on port 80 every time, and if... A computer receives a request on port 80, like, say, MacObserver.com, receives a request on port 80, it's going to turn around and give you a, uh, a the web page of MacObserver.com. If you try to connect on a port for, you know, Windows sharing, well, the, it's not going to respond with anything because we don't have that enabled. Or if you try to connect with Apple, uh, Apple Share or Apple File Protocol, Apple File Sharing AFP on 548, the computer's not going to respond at all. It doesn't mean that it doesn't like you. It doesn't mean that it won't respond on other ports. Again, if you connect on port 80, no problem. Connect on port 548, problem. Even if it's with your web browser, you still got to pick the right port. And by doing nothing, of course, you pick port 80. John? I think I'm pretty much with you on that. It's a, it's a virtual connection. TCPFE, of course, is the protocol that defines that. And there are different, uh, you know, different layers of the protocol. We'll mm -hmm. uh, put a few links to explain it more. Uh, at the very lowest levels, um, and actually this kind of touches on something else on the Mac here, of course you have your network control panel that has ports listed. Those are starting at the hardware layer. So that's uh, another aspect of ports, I guess, is uh, are you going through Ethernet, your modem, Bluetooth? Uh -huh. That's at the hardware level when you get the lowest level. And then as you yeah. start moving up, it gets more abstract, as you're pointing out, where um, you, know, you typically have a either UDP or TCP would be the protocol, TCP being the more popular because it's uh, you know, error recovery and all that stuff there. Um, and then, yeah, certain services, they're all, well, some are usually well-defined. Uh, you know, some are standard for services. Sometimes they're made up on the fly, depending on what you're doing. Yep. Um, uh, a, a cool thing is, let's say you've got your Mac, uh, you're, you're sitting on your Mac, and you load four different web pages, right? So you connect to MacObserver.com on port 80, and then you connect to New York Times on port 80, and Apple.com on, on port 80, right? So you're connecting out to all these computers. The outgoing port, uh, the port to which you're connecting to the other computers is all port 80, and they all start sending data back at you. Magically, though, your browser knows, okay, well, this is, you know, uh, this is to build, you know, Mac Observer's web page. This is to build the New York Times web page. This is to build Apple's web page. How does it know? Well, when your computer sets up a connection going out, it, like we said, sends it to, in the, in the example of the web, port 80. But at the same time, it says, and when you send something back to me, send it back to me on this port that I've defined. And usually it's a uh, higher number, like, you know, 54127. 
So it'll tell Apple.com, you know, 54127. It'll tell New York Times, 54128. It'll tell Mac Observer, 54129. And that way, when data comes back at your computer, it might come back even from a different server, but as long as it comes back on that port, boom, you're good to go. You know it's there. And that, that actually oversimplifies it, too, because your computer probably wouldn't accept it if it was from a different computer unless it was informed of the redirect, et cetera, et cetera. But, uh, but that's how it knows. Right, John? Yeah, and actually a it? good place. Oh, no, no, no. I think, okay. I think that's, uh, that's accurate. And, and a very good place to see this very quickly is that there is something in your, in your utilities folder. Say that five times fast. <laughs> Anyways, um, called, uh, wait, hold on, where is it? Network Utility. And Network Utility, uh, you know, provides a graphical interface to some common utilities. But if you go to NetStat, this will make this oh. very clear. Because NetStat shows you the IP address and port combinations for all of your active connections, whether they're established, listening, closed, all that fun stuff. Yeah. Um, looking at that for a while will make it clear. So, so if you go to Network Utility, just to get this right, Network Utility, NetStat, yeah. there's four options. I believe the one you're talking about is display the state of all current socket connections. Yes. Yeah, okay. it was It was clicked on that by default. I think that's uh, the uh, my, mine was. I think that tells no, you the I, whole I think, story. I think it defaults to display routing table information because huh. never, I'd okay. never been here before on this computer. Okay. But anyway, it doesn't matter. So, uh, it doesn't matter what the default is. Make sure it's that. Then you'll But those are absolutely all the sockets. Now it may be useful because, you know, if if you got some nastyware or malware or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. On your computer, um, well you either use something like I like Little Snitch is a wonderful utility oh. to tell you about outgoing connections. Uh, well, what? I hate Little Snitch. Once you set it up, there are certain programs where it goes bananas because it's opening so many ports. You know why case, I you hate... say, okay, let this program do whatever it wants. But no, yeah. I like it because it always comes up when something is communicating and you may not be aware of it. I think that's important. It, it, it is. And you know what? If, if, you're, if you're willing to do the research and know what little snitch is telling you and, and truly understand what it's telling you, then it can, can yeah. be a very useful tool. The, mm -hmm. the reason I hate it is, and there's programs like this for Windows too. In fact, most virus... Uh, protection programs for Windows incorporate something along these lines. And the, and that's why I hate it, because when I did all my consulting, I, I would have people that would say, oh, yeah, I installed Little Snitch, and, uh, you know, it, uh, it, it I, I had to disable this and that and this and that because it's yelling at me and yelling at me. And, and they were just mm -hmm. blindly disabling things without really knowing what it does. So it, you're right. It can be a handy program. Oh, disable? Oh, gosh, because I, I typically, I mean, and a lot of times the, the biggest thing I see is software that wants the phone home to see if there's a new version. That's right. So usually if it's program X and it's going to update.companyx.com, I'm like, gee, you know, it's probably looking for an update. I'll let it do this forever. I'm okay with that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so part of it's a, I mean, yeah, I suppose somebody could be, you know, a jerk and write software that goes to, you know, a server that looks to be legitimate. Right. What's the plan? I don't know. So anyways, but yeah, so, so, um. So I'm with you. So two approaches. One is to do this netstat, and that'll show you a snapshot. I gather you can cut and paste this or save it or something. Yeah. Yeah. Or uh, something like Little Snitch, or uh, you know, there are a few other firewall utilities. I don't really. Yeah. Do too much firewall on my machines. I'm not Speaking sure about you. Speaking of cool utilities, I, I oh. really love Andrew's comment this week. Okay. Hi, Dave and John. This is Andrew from uh, Frog in the Czech Republic again. Um, I'm calling because I was just listening to show 111, and as you were talking about Location X, 
I wanted to make you aware of another utility that does exactly the same thing, but for free, that um, I'm not sure you're aware of. It's called Marco Polo. If you do a Google search for Marco Polo uh, as one word, plus OSX, you'll find the homepage. And it basically does everything that you and the caller to your show were asking for. It allows you to uh, set printers according to the location, uh, SMTP service for mail, uh, activate or deactivate Bluetooth, etc., etc. So that seems like it could uh, it could be a good alternative to Location X, which is also a, a pretty good piece of software. I have to admit, having tried both. Um, one other thing I wanted to mention, as we're talking about utilities, is something called WinClone. And this is a, also a freeware application that allows you to do a complete backup, a complete image of your Windows Bootcamp partition and restore it. Uh, this utility is absolutely fantastic and uh, has saved my bacon a couple of times. Anyway, that's all for now. I just wanted to share those two things with you because I, I think they really do uh, deserve a mention because they both do an excellent job. And thanks again to the two of you for doing an excellent job as always. Love the show and speak to you soon. Bye. Brilliant. Thank you very much for sending that in. I had no idea about either of those pieces of software. That is... Marco Polo rocks. Yeah. Yeah. Look at the webpage, man. It does everything. They even have a handy comparison chart with some similar utilities. Oh, so, is that right? Look at that. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It, it does growl, which is cool. Yeah, it's you got into growl. Growl. Yeah. Growl's a, a, a very nice notification manager. Uh, basically, it, it flashes a window in the upper right-hand corner of your screen, and then it fades away slowly. Telling you important things, you know, for certain programs that support it, um, you know, yep. like iChat, it'll tell you when people are on or offline. But this looks like it supports it. It's a, it's a nice way of presenting information without kind of getting in your face. So, yeah, checking it out. I, I think it's awesome. It, anybody has any comments like that, please, please send them in. Feedback at macgeekgab.com or uh, or call call them into 206-666-GEEK, which is 4335. Uh, uh, pretty or, much. Yeah. Our second sponsor for this show is Audio Engine at AudioEngineUSA.com, and more specifically, their A5 desktop speakers. These are a set of speakers, two distinct speakers, one for the left, one for the right. They come in black or white, and they have two drivers per speaker, one for the high end, one for the low end. The sound that comes out of these things is full and rich. John and I both use them at our uh, podcasting stations. Of course, we don't use them while we're podcasting. Otherwise, you'd get all kinds of feedback that I'm not going to show you. Uh, we use headphones for that. But listening back, tuning the show, all that stuff, uh, Audio Engine A5s, they've got a USB port on the top that you can use to charge your iPod or power your iPod while you're uh, connected. It's got a Mini 8 jack on the top as well as Mini 8 jacks on the back connect six different ways from Sunday to this thing, whatever works for you. And it's even got a power adapter on the back so that you can hang your airport express off of it and uh, all in one little package. So AudioEngineUSA.com, the A5 speakers. And, uh, and with that, we're back to yet another Dave. And we'll see what happens here. Hey, John and Dave, or uh, Dave and John, don't want to play favorites. Uh, it's <laughs> Dave Cook from Sogarty's New York. Uh, I called a few weeks ago about my bad uh, airport reception on my PowerBook and how how it paled in comparison to my wife's MacBook, which, no, I'm not going to swap computers because uh, she wouldn't allow me. But anyway, uh, I just want to tell you, and this is kind of obvious, and I'm surprised I didn't uh, think about it sooner, but um, I updated my, I guess, I don't know if they were drivers or just the firmware or whatever, my version of airport um, in my PowerBook. 
I was on some old three point something, and I think now it's at four point one or two or something like that. And uh, it improved the reception. I, I did it because I wasn't able to log on to uh, certain wireless networks with the older software. And uh, I went to uh, uh, Version Tracker and found um, what I needed. And now I can sit on my front porch and browse all day without any issues. So I want to let you guys know that, again, it's pretty elementary. You probably didn't even suggest that because you assumed I already checked that. <laughs> but uh, it's working great. Okay. So uh, thank you, and uh, keep it up. Talk to you soon. Bye. I'm glad that this worked for Dave, but and 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 please, John, or or any of you, correct me if if you believe I'm wrong. But I don't think the update from Airport Three to Airport Four actually made any fundamental difference in the way the hardware works. Again, I I might be wrong. I mean, certainly Dave's experience here would indicate this. I do recall reading that there was one difference, though, and that was how the uh, airport signal strength or airport strength bar was uh, was used in versions prior to version four. It and I, I believe I've got this right. It was a meter of signal strength, right? That the little cell phone kind of style, you know, uh, triangle yep. upside down triangle <clears throat> thing that sits in your menu bar. As a measure of, of signal strength, in four and later, I believe they changed it to a measure of what speed you were connected at. As signal strength and noise uh, gets better or worse, your airport connection actually changes its its maximum transmit speed to match the best thing it can do given the conditions. Um, so there were a lot of people I remember when the new airport came out that said, "Oh wow, it really improved my." Uh, my signal strength, no, you, it didn't change anything other than what it reports to you, which is no longer signal strength. That said, Dave's not seeing dropouts anymore where he was in the past. So uh, here you go, John. Here's the, uh, you said somebody should keep score or the follow-up or the revisiting with somebody. Here we go. We're revisiting with Dave. And, uh, and despite the fact that I don't believe it made any difference, it appears to have made a difference for Dave. So uh, you're, you're going to correct me here, John. I can, I can hear you. Uh, chomping at the bit so please. oh no no oh no i'm, I'm totally with you no oh, okay. i'm not no no but i'm, I'm gonna <laughs> add a few things to this okay um so so one yeah i don't believe that the, if you replace the airport it does anything to the uh, i would expect if anything would modify the behavior of the way it works at a fundamental level it would be a firmware update but i haven't seen a heck of a lot for the built-in airport cards and i, I don't, don't think believe was... if you install airport software that uh or was he saying on the airport itself? That wasn't clear to me. No, because I think base station firmware is up in the five range, right? Yeah. So Air Force software updates. So yeah, it. You know, it, I don't know. It could have upgraded the firmware. It that, might that's have. That's a good question. Yeah, it might have upgraded in the, the airport in the base card. Station. In which case, if the, I mean, there is, you know, I guess there is a chance that there was a bug or something in the earlier versions of the RF low-level hardware in the airport card. I suppose yeah. that's possible. No, you know what? I think you're right. I think it may have updated the firmware in the base station, and that could make this difference. Uh, typically, that yeah, it goes in pairs. I think yeah. when you update the airport software, it does any you know connected base stations, but I think it may Im impact the firmware in the card inside of the computer itself. So maybe mm. one or the other did it. Now, what I did want to mention, say, I'm pretty much, uh, I want to mention some tools that you could use to help determine with problems like this, uh, now that it sounds like Dave has solved it, but um, 
there are some tools now that the the uh, status bar that's up in the menu bar isn't you know I mean there's like what four or five up there something uh, like five that. I think yeah yeah that's not really great so one thing you may want to do if you're trying to determine you know the causes of why your reception isn't that great is you know maybe move around with the machine maybe change the position the orientation or something sometimes high frequency RF like you know, Wi-Fi 2.4 gigahertz may get upset near certain metal and stuff like that. I mean, it sounds like from what I recall that, you know, his wife's machine, there was a definite difference. But one thing is that if you run Internet Connect, that will show you status for the current connection, and it has, I believe, a 15-element strength meter. So one thought is that you may want to get a greater level of granularity on the, the measurement. Okay. Okay. So uh, yeah. if you want to go even further, there are a couple of utilities. Now, you know, you and I were tossing this around. I don't think there's one utility that tells you everything. The one I really like is iStumbler. Hmm. I don't know if you've used it. Uh, I have, yeah. As of late. But yeah, it lets you monitor Bluetooth, airport, bonjour, uh, different networks. But it shows you a whole bunch of stuff, including signal strength in a percentage and also noise in a percentage. You know, thinking, of course, the greater the signal, the better, the greater the noise, the worse. Okay. <laughs> so you get yeah. that for each. Uh, base station, or I'm sorry, that, that, uh, yeah, from each base station, but it's a useful figure, but it also does, you know, little graphs and stuff like that. So that's one thing. And then, and then I think you were asking me, you know, how about something that tells you the speed that you're connected at? Cause that's another thing. You're not always connected at 54 megabits a second. Yeah. Uh, now I believe that the airport, I believe that the airport meter shows you the relative, uh, single signal strength in gradations, but it, there's, to my knowledge, yes. there's no way to get that data out of it and that's actually one thing i like about how windows does this because if you float over the little mm. wireless networking icon in the windows little trough down there by the clock uh it, it'll tell you how fast it's connected and that's really mm. handy i think uh, you know maybe i'm maybe that's me but uh no i'm with you no windows occasionally does things better yeah well you know <laughs> um but there are now if, if you go um you know and i'll find a few things that we'll link to them but i, I did look through and they had, um, you know, thanks to the, you know, thriving shareware community or yeah. freeware community. Yeah. Um, you know, I popped over to Mac Update and typed in airport and found a whole bunch of things in there. There are things that will actually give you little indicators that show you the percentage uh, strength uh, without being a full-blown application, like in a menu bar or something like that. Yep. Um, and the other thing that I found was uh, if you want to see at what speed you're connected, this is something that I use. It's a little uh, dashboard widget. I don't use dashboard too often. Huh. Um, called air traffic control. Pretty much the only things I do is air air traffic control. Sometimes the stock thing, and sometimes the traffic thing. Yahoo has a nice uh, traffic widget, so I know if I'm going to have a bad morning. Ah, uh, really? And you find that helpful for you? I well, I don't versus punching it into a browser. It's it's just quicker to just yeah. hit dashboard, and it comes up, and you know it knows my zip code, and it knows you know I want within like a you know ten mile radius because I don't have a long commute. Yeah. And it just shows me where the problems are. If you click on it, then it goes into a browser and gives you the details. But it's a good, uh, huh. you know, good quick look. That's good. Yeah, I didn't think, uh, I, I know there was a lot of, uh, the, I don't know out there, if anybody knows any of any uh, cool widgets that they really like, actually, let us know. But uh, those are pretty much the two I use mostly. And then, yeah, of course, the stock one, you know, watch the uh, dramatic rise in, in uh, the price of my Apple stock. Except today. My goodness. Well, today was a bad day for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but didn't it start out as a bad day for Apple anyway? Uh, somebody, uh, I saw it on, on the site, somebody predicted it would go up to 205. Which, uh, I don't know well, yeah, but it, it dipped today because of, uh, partially because low, of the, low iPhone numbers. I that's think. right. 
Yeah. Lower than some people would have preferred. That's right. I think the number was like a hundred thousand something, and people were predicting two hundred thousand. Or hey, it's crazy. Not bad. Uh, people, I thought they were predicting more than that, but maybe I'm. Uh, who knows? Uh, yeah. Well, this is where you know having a global memory like the internet is good. You can see uh, see what people said and see how it stacks up. But uh, apparently, AT and T's happy. Yeah. Apple's happy. iPhone yeah. owners are happy. I think. I think so. All the iPhone owners we've heard from are happy, so that's good. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm pretty happy with with my phone. There are a few things, but I, I manage. But you don't have an iPhone. No, no. no I have the uh, the, the crazer. Actually, look at last week's show notes. I found a wonderful number of resources that concern uh, customizing your uh, Motorola phone. You know, speaking of. Uh, of phones, the uh, we we mentioned something last last week that we indicated didn't make sense to us at all, and uh, and as it turns out, it, it didn't because what we the, what we understood was wrong, the and what we said was wrong. The well, we I talked about. I, I think it was poor wording on someone's part. Yeah, well, and then it was poor wording on our part. Uh, so the we talked about the iPhone's Wi-Fi connection monthly limitation. And we, we said that AT&T limited you to connecting to uh, Wi-Fi networks, uh, limited you to connecting 150 times a month to, to Wi-Fi networks. And that's true, but not to any Wi-Fi network. It's only limiting you to 150 connections to AT&T's Wi-Fi Connect network, which is their own proprietary network that they've, they've kind of got in, in various places around. So in, in order to prevent someone who has an iPhone from saying, look, just clone my, uh, my Mac address and then bam, you know, you can get yourself onto uh, any AT&T network anywhere, Wi-Fi, you're good to go. Uh, they limit it to 150 connections per device per month and that way they can make sure that, uh, that you're not, you know, fraudulently using it. So it actually does make sense. Um, chances are you wouldn't even connect to AT&T's Wi-Fi Connect network 50 times in a month maybe not even yeah. 15, so 150 is actually a very, very generous limit, but certainly protects AT&T in the event that, uh, that okay. somebody's MAC address gets out. I, I thought I had read a link to an article where they had a quote where they didn't specify. It, it just said Wi-Fi. It didn't yeah. say AT&T Wi-Fi. Yeah, well, so that's... Room yeah, that's misinterpretation. Yeah, that, and that's... That, a lot of articles said that, but, uh, but they were wrong, and so, and so we were wrong for following them. So thank you to everyone who wrote in and, and called in with that. I, 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 the names are too, I mean, we, we had, you know, probably a hundred comments on that, so I'm just yeah. going to let that go. Uh, but thank you to, to everyone who, uh, who wrote well, in on that. And, and I want to uh, take responsibility. What's that? You have to be responsible. John. <laughs> You're a big boy now. You have to be. Uh... <laughs> no, what I did hear, though, is someone else fessed up. You heard about the uh, Duke thing, right? What happened? Oh, the I iPhone. Uh, there was an alleged iPhone overload. Yeah, but that Duke. wasn't true, right? Well, no, it was. There was. Well, no, there was actually. Uh, as as it turns out, Cisco did admit that there was an issue. Uh, I think it was an ARP storm. Somebody detected. It. Apparently, uh, Cisco fessed up and said, "Yeah, it was our equipment that was messing up." Nice, Apple. Very nice. Because people were pointing at the iPhone. Because I guess it, it happened. Uh, so, uh, ARP storm. I'm sure you know what those are. They're they're nasty. Why don't you tell the uh, the listening audience though? Well, ARP, Address Resolution Protocol, is a type of packet that gets tossed around when you're trying to resolve addresses on a TCP IP network. And suffice to say, if you toss enough around uh, or toss around fraudulent ones, you can you know, engineer a certain 
sort of low-level attacks. But uh, sometimes, you know, misbehaving network equipment will not know how to deal with them properly and create an ARP storm, which means just it's just too much traffic on the network. Because ah. it gets confused because there are too many requests for, you know, handing out and finding and, and locating IP addresses. All right. I'll buy that. Machines and stuff. So, uh, yeah, I'll link to something about ARP storms. I, I, I did something a number of years ago where... Actually, uh, it was a security challenge at work. We did the, you know, the good guys and the bad guys, and the uh, I was on the bad guys team, and that was a <clears throat> attack that we used to basically trick someone to come to our web server when uh, they weren't meant to. It yeah. was fooling the network into thinking, hey, no, no, come here, come here. I'm over here, really. No, don't go to that other guy who is the legitimate owner of this IP address. Yeah, I, I think my buddy Nate taught me how to do that to blow uh, a computer off of a hotel network that was causing the router to reset because of viruses or something so we we arp flooded that one computer or something and and knocked it off the network and then i stole its ip address so that it couldn't get back on and and then the network was okay something like that mm -hmm. i don't know it was so, uh, address resolution protocol read up on it we'll link to it, it it's an interesting uh well it kind of follows on our, our talk of uh, uh ports yeah it's yeah actually it does that. yeah that's a low much lower level you know look into the the you know, wonder that it's TCP IP. I wonder if we're going to get to IP6, you know? There's all this big panic over running out of addresses for IP4 because you only have, you know. Yeah. I think that panic is still octets. valid. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Octet. Octets. That's right. Yeah. Back to our, our pre-show, the, the sound check. Yeah. Um, podcast and New Media Expo is September 28th through 30th. Uh, that's right after my birthday, you know, John. You'll have to, uh, you'll have to throw me a party. <laughs> I'm going to get everybody else to throw you a party. How's that? Oh, well, we'll see. We don't have to do anything. Uh, anyway. Uh, <laughs> it's not, it's, get it. No, no, no. I should have kept my mouth shut. I don't know what made me decide to open my mouth tonight. Anyway, uh, next week, more of, uh, more of your questions, more of your tips, more of our answers. And if we find something cool between now and then, we'll, of course, mention that as well. Cashfly hosting is from which you downloaded from where you downloaded this podcast. I still got to come up with the right uh, Wentz. The, Wentz. from whence do you think? I don't no, think it was whence though. Right. No. Uh, podcast marketplace this month has the A5 desktop speakers from Audio Engine, BB Edit from Barebones Software, and PDF Pen from Smile on my Mac, all through the Backbeat Media Podcast Network. And I, I think that's it. Do you have anything else, John? Feedback at MacObserver.com, 206-666-GEEK. No. No, not feedback at MacObserver.com. That's totally wrong. I mean, that'll get you somewhere and eventually it'll get to us, but please don't do it. Mm. Feedback at MacGeekGab.com is, is much better. Again. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what made me say that. You got anything mm -hmm. else, John? I don't know. Uh, All right. TiVo Jr. came out. Yeah, TiVo Series 3. But not Series 3. TiVo HD for like half the price of what John and I wound up paying. But that's all right. It's cool. If you're going to get TiVo, let us know. We can uh, we can get you in on the, uh, I don't know. I don't know that we have anything to get you in on. We might be able to get you a, a uh, I don't know what it is. I'm, I'm out of here. Hey, uh, but don't forget, John. What's that? made up.